Hello, and welcome to Cross Point Church's podcast. We are here to reveal God in everyday ways that help people like you. Whether you are a Christian or not, we believe that God is not far from any one of us, and He wants to be found. You don't have to look a certain way or have it all together to become one of us. We don't have it all together either. But we do have hope in the one who does. Jesus loved everyone, no matter who they were or what they had done. We want to be just like that. If you want to connect with us, just stay after the message. We'll tell you how. Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you. The children are staying with us, right? Okay. So parents, if you just want to take a minute and teach your children what a rhetorical question is, that would be great. Because I tend to ask those and children tend to answer. And sometimes (laughs) they're too honest. I remember one time when our church was in Franklin, um, there at St. Martin's, and I was preaching, and uh, I, I made a point, and then I said, did that make sense? And then this little girl spoke up and said, no. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. Oh, boy. Well, listen, children do not bother me. I'm just joking. I like children. I like children. I like children. I do. But uh, I'm free of children, and that's a great thing. (laughs) Except for grandchildren. Well, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get started. So if you'd bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for this occasion to be in this place, this place that you've set aside for us so that we might come and gather and do so freely without fear and talk about your word. And and that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to preach and proclaim because you've ordained that there be preaching and then uh all who've come, they've come to hear and to receive. And Father, I ask that you, you bless this process and make these words real to our hearts. We don't want them to just go over our heads. We want them to get down into the depth of our being and make a difference in our lives. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're, once again, we're going through the Advent uh, season. And today, we're going to talk about peace. Peace, Um, it's the last candle, except for the Christ candle, which will be lit this coming um, Saturday evening. Peace, Um, you know, like all of these topics have been big, big topics. I mean, that that, could have turned into series, you know, uh, love and joy and and, uh, what's the other one? Hope. And now peace. <clears throat> it seems that humans are obsessed with peace, right? It seems on one hand that there's, there's leaders in our world that are obsessed with war, no doubt. But, but on our level, we're obsessed with peace. We want peace. And peace, we can use this definition, it's a stress-free state 
of security and calmness that comes when there's no fighting or conflict or war. Everything coexisting in perfect harmony and freedom. And I, I do think that's a full reflective uh, definition. However, it seems that we typically define it in terms of uh, the absence of something, again, war, conflict, uh, friction, and we don't talk about it so much in terms of the presence of something. Now, a little bit later, I want to talk about the presence of that something. Uh, there, there's this cry for world peace, right? Yeah, I mean, and we know by now that every Miss America pageant uh, contestant wants world peace, right? I don't know if you ever saw Miss Congeniality. There's a real cool scene in there where um, Sandra Bullock is going undercover and there's this beauty pageant and all the contestants are there and I think it's William Shatner and he's like, what do you think the most important thing is in society? And they just go from one to the next, world peace, world peace. And they come to Sandra Bullock's character and they ask her and she says, a harsher punishment for parole violators, <laughs> which is... And then she, the audience is just dead silent, right? And uh, just staring at her. And then she goes, and world peace. And they erupt into laughter and applause. World peace, that all elusive thing that we know as world peace. Nations talk of peace and they write peace treaties. But the vast majority of those get broken, uh, if you ask the Native Americans about peace treaties that have been broken, they will tell you that the Americans, since, since coming to North America, uh, that we've broken somewhere between 300 and 500 treaties, or peace treaties, with the Native Americans. And I'm not trying to make a political statement, it's, it's just fact. That's, that's just how we've related to them. There's also this idea of a peaceful existence. I mean, we want a peaceful existence. We want to live on peaceful streets, in peaceful, quiet neighborhoods. If you happen to drive down one of our neighborhoods and you, you, you rev your engine while coming down one of our streets, you can get a ticket for disturbing the peace. We want to vacation somewhere peaceful with peaceful scenery and no interruptions. If you want to tranquil campsite. You can go to Peaceful Valley, Peaceful Mountain, Peaceful Water, Peaceful River, Peaceful Wind, Peaceful Pine, Peaceful Woodlands, Peaceful Acres, or Peaceful Point. Those are all actual campgrounds that you can visit. You know, we long so much, so much for peace in this life, and, and it seems to elude us so often Whenever one of our loved ones dies, we look at them or look at their corpse or their casket and we say, rest in peace. Finally, rest in peace. And we hope that's true for them, right? That they're, they're about to do that. And then there's this whole pursuit of inner peace. Peace within yourself. Peace of mind. And, and really... This is what religion is all about when it comes down to it. Like, why do people pursue religion? Because they're after some degree of peace, some type of inner peace. Um, there's Buddhism. You can reach a state of nirvana, which is a place of enlightenment, so that, that you're no longer struggling with these earthly sort of 
encumbrances. In Hinduism, there's moksha. That's freedom. And once again, liberation from suffering and oppression. Of course, you might have to go through several lives to get there. But ultimately, hopefully, you'll reach that state. There's Confucianism. There's Shintoism. There's Taoism. All of those uh, lead you to find peace by way of becoming one with nature. Okay, that, and, and also there's, there's an ethical dynamic to it as well. So, so if you're an ethical person, or at least that's your pursuit, and, and, and then you have this one with, oneness with nature as well, all that working together, you can find peace, inner peace. There's Islam. Islam is, well, it is vastly different from Christianity, but in a lot of ways, it's similar to Christianity. You know, they've got their prophet, and that's Muhammad, uh, but uh, ultimately you can reach a, a state of, of rest, I forget what they call it exactly, uh, after this life, not during this life, but after this life. There, there's the New Age movement. There's all sorts of things going on there. I didn't realize it, but according to my daughter, this is like the thing for, for the Gen, what are, what are you people now, Gen Zers? I, I, Okay, I lose touch. I think my daughter is like a millennial. Okay, uh, thank you, Courtney. She says yes, she is. But um, there's there's all this stuff going on with the the younger generation regarding the new age movement and and there's not really boundaries to the new age movement right you can't really define it like you can some of the other religions i was just mentioning but it's it's there's this whole spiritualism that takes place inside of it and one of the big things now is to get these crystals and carrying carry them around with you and these these crystals somehow line you up with energy fields in the universe and if you line up just right then then you have peace now i i greatly summarize that for you but so that's interesting and my daughter's like yeah I know people that carry crystals around in their pocket for this very purpose like you're kidding me she says there's a hashtag on TikTok somebody had to tell me I don't do TikTok I hear that it's bad I'm staying away but anyway she's like there's this one hashtag named manifestations and she says, that one hashtag has over 15 billion views. Oh, what? So this, this is what's going on, and it's like just underneath our radar. We don't, we don't realize it, right? So, so much for atheism. Like, people have learned, like, there, there's something else out there, and this can be an advantage to us, Right? You know, we want spiritual people. That's what we want. We want people who think there's something out there that's better for us. And there's plenty of people who do and don't buy in to the, to the idea that this is all there is. Uh, and, of course, there's self-help. You can, you can pursue peace through all sorts of, I mean, just Google it, right? Ten ways to have inner peace. And by and large, I'll sum it up for you and put it in a nutshell. The basic answer is just slow down. Just chill out. You know, go for a walk. You know, just, just relax. turn off the TV. Put your devices away. Just relax. Just think about happy places. That's, that's the summation of self, self-help. 
Now, my contention is that I'm sorry that none of this suffices for me. Like, the, the, in other words, it, aside from being a Christian and believing something different, I think I would truly, truly look at all of that and go, you know, you, you just don't hit the mark. It, like, it's, it doesn't satisfy me. That's not deep enough. That's like this skin deep. I got to go soul deep. And I got to have something much greater speaking peace into, into me or I'm not going to have it. It's not going to happen. And so all this, it's, it's just interesting though when you reflect on the world and this pursuit for peace, isn't it? I mean, it, it is just so prevalent. Everywhere you turn, people are looking for peace. And I think it says something about who we are as humans, right? I think it says something about the fact that we're wired this way. Like this is, this is in our DNA, if you will, this desire for peace. Well, heaven has an answer for this, right? Jesus comes, or his birth comes with an announcement of peace. And here's, here's the announcement, Luke chapter 2. Verses 13 to 14. And suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of heavenly beings praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, thank you, Dave and family, for, for extrapolating on uh, those who find peace with God and how you find peace with God. I don't have to get into it, and I appreciate that. But the angelic announcement is peace, peace. I'm bringing you peace. So peace came to this earth through Jesus. That's the proclamation. So the point of the Bible here is look no further. Now, I know I was describing, in a lot of cases, modern things that were happening before, but you know, you can apply that to every generation. Every generation is always looking for peace. And, and so this is a universal thing, the search for peace. And this is a universal announcement. Jesus brings peace. Look no further. And it's interesting, the whole world is looking for peace. But, but Jesus is not looking for it. He's bringing it. As we heard, he's the peacemaker now, ultimately, we're going to see in John 14, 27, that the kind of peace that Jesus brings is, is it's a different quality. It's, it's not in keeping with what we think we need, in other words. Okay? So here, we're told in John 14, 27, Jesus is saying this to his disciples before he is ultimately crucified and leaves them. He says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is like, I'm, not, I'm giving you peace, but I'm not giving you peace like the world's peace. It's a, it's a different peace. So don't be afraid. So in other words, the peace that Jesus is going to give is of an ultimate variety. 
It's the peace that passes all understanding, right? It's the peace that associates with God himself. So it's not short-lived. It's not short-sighted. It's ultimate, ultimate peace. Now, I think this peace is key. It's key to all other peace. Like, if, if we're going to have peace on any other level, then we have to have this peace. It's absolutely critical. Because this is divine peace. And humans need divine peace in order to enact peace in their lives and in their world. So this is key. This peace that Jesus brought. And what peace is it? Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the peace that Jesus came to bring. Peace with God. That's the ultimate peace. That's the peace we've got to have. And I believe, like I said, this peace is key. So here's what I mean when I, I say it's key. And it's fundamental to who we are as humans. The most important question in the entire universe is, are you at peace with God? That's the most important. It's the most important question for you eternally. It's the most important question for you right now, practically, right where you sit. There is no more important question than this. So here's something to ponder. Is it possible, okay, like if this is key, if this piece is key, it's fundamental to who we are, is it possible that the entire course of your life is determined by your answer to this one single question. Is that possible? Is it that critical? How crucial is it? What's the impact, in other words, of being or not being at peace with God? We may think it only affects certain people, that is certain people who are concerned with religion, but if we're all made in the image of God and deep at the center of our being is this place for God, this God-sized hole, we might call it. Is it true then that normal includes living relative to God? But what happens if God does not occupy that place? Is there then a fear that arises, okay? If we're, and I believe we are, right? We're conscious of the fact that God does not have that place in our lives. Is there a fear that arises? A fear that's always present, but often suppressed with some form of distraction. You know, we're, we're really good at distraction. Why is that? Why do we need to be distracted? Why can't we be alone with ourselves? Why do, why do we always need to be doing something and engage mentally? A fear that's often suppressed with distraction, a fear that resurfaces, though, at bedtime, in moments of stillness, when left to our own thoughts. But it's not simply fear. It's foreboding, even haunting, it feels like more than 
mere separation from something. It feels like estrangement. You feel like you've actually wronged someone. Someone that's always watching and your actions or your inaction will catch up to you one day. It's a sense of doom, as it were. Could it be that this fear is associated with not being related to God? Properly related, of course. There, in other words, not being at peace with God. Could that fear be related to that? This, this foreboding sense of doom? And out of this fear, then, we make choices. And those choices, choices shape our lives, the very course of our lives. So much so that if we didn't have this haunting fear, if we actually had peace with God, our lives would have played out differently. A different course altogether. Is this the impact of not being at peace with God? I said, would you please consider that? It's interesting, isn't it? Like, so in other words, we don't normally associate living in relationship to God with all the things that we experience here as humans and, and all the issues in life. We don't really put two and two together. So is there a connection? I think there is. I mean, it makes sense. We're made in God's image. And so if we try to live apart from God, then I think our lives are going to look really different, aren't they? And is that associated with this innate fear? When in essence, all we're doing is running from God. That's what it comes down to. Now, that's the macro level, right? And it's kind of philosophical and fun to think about, but not just fun. How about the micro level? How about our day-to-day -day relationships? I think this may be the best way to consider this because days add up to lifetimes, right? In other words, you can, you can think more on the day-to-day -day level and, and see how peace or lack of peace really plays a role in our lives. And you can connect the dots better. Let's, I want to show you a passage in Scripture that really, I think, captures this very well. This is James chapter 4, the first three verses. James here says, he's talking to believers in this case. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The opposite of peace in this case is war, right? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now, they may not be actually taking somebody's life, but what, he, what he's getting at is you walk on other people, and it may end up in actual murder. But in essence, you're destroying people in order to get what you want. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and even when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly. You're just asking so that you can get those things for yourself. <laughs> if, if this isn't a nutshell of what happens with humanity at large, not simply the church, but at large, then I don't know what else is. So in other words, where does war come from? 
Like micro, it boils right down to each of us individually. Like that's where it comes from. Sometimes you'll hear that religion has been the cause of most every war that's ever been fought. Have you ever heard that? I, I beg to differ. I don't think religion has caused wars. It might have been in the name of religion. But people who wanted things for themselves, who were coveting things and desiring things that they should not have coveted and desired, are the root cause of war. No matter what umbrella they're functioning under. This is where all war inheres. These folk, these Christian folk in this case, that James writing to, they're at war. And, and it's like, well, why are they at war? Well, verse 4 says, because they're in bed with the world. You adulterous people, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? See, once again, there's no peace with God. They're in the bed with the world. So, so they want the things that they see in the world. And so this causes this, this friction within them. Ultimately, they're at odds with, with God. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So this is not a very peaceful passage, right? But it's getting at the root cause as to why there's not peace. And so what's the solution? James 7, uh, 4, 7 through 8 says three things. Submit yourselves to God. So that's, that's the broad context. You need to submit yourself to God. And here's three things you need to do. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And then cleanse your hands and purify your hearts because you're double-minded. You're not, you're not focusing on what God wants. You're in church, but yet you got these other desires, right? So I, I just want to focus on that second one. Like draw near to God and he will draw near to you because this very much pertains back to Romans chapter 5. So what James is saying is that if all of this relational strife that you're experiencing, this warlike you know, experience, if it's going to be corrected and you're going to be at peace with one another and bring glory to God, then you have to draw near to God. Okay, that's, that's one of the main things they got to do. You got to break off this relationship with the world and you got to become a friend of God's. A friend of God's. Now, how do we do this? So just keep tracking with me. Back to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, because this, this connects very well. Once again, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So an important word here is justified, okay? Since we've been justified by faith, now we have peace with God, okay? Justified means we've been made right with God in simplest terms. There is no peace with God without justification, well, how does one get right with God? Well, even before that, what went wrong 
in the first place. Like, why, why are we not just right with God? What went wrong? Well, you go all the way back to Genesis and, and you see the genesis of all things, right? The genesis of what happened with us. Humanity, we're in that garden. It was a peaceful place. And then Satan comes in, he tempts the man and woman, and they buy into his lies, and then they fall into sin, and then God judges them because no, they're no longer trusting God. And what happens is, is God casts them out of that peaceful place, right? And he says, you know what's going to happen? You're going you're gonna to die. You're going to die. And he put them under a curse. Okay, so that, that started this this whole quest, if you will, for peace, really, because now, you know, God is against me. He's not, he's not for me. He, he drove me away from his presence. And so man becomes a wanderer, as it were, on earth. But, and, and, and this, this goes on, right? And so now, the Bible says that God has spoken to us, Hebrews chapter 1 uh, God has spoken to us finally, one last time, through his final word. Like, so God has been after us all this time. God has been, he's been speaking to us in a multitude of ways, but now he's going to speak to us, new covenant speaking, new testament speaking, Jesus coming to earth speaking, one final time. He speaks through Jesus. And so Jesus is going to be the one who puts all this to rest. And so Jesus comes, and as we sang in this song, Oh, Come to the Altar, the, it's, it's through his blood, ultimately, that we're reconciled to God. So how, how does that work? Well, there's, what I was describing was alienation. That's a biblical term. On the one end of justification, on the other oh, on the other end, there's reconciliation. So how do, we, how do we get reconciled to God? We were alienated. How do we get reconciled? Well, Jesus Christ himself came in verses 8 to 10 of Romans 5. It says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have, not, we, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So you get what he's saying. He's saying, like, here's the whole picture of Jesus coming. And this is a very important point. Like, who initiated this whole thing? God did. God initiated the, the mending of, of our broken relationship with him, in other words. God did it. Now, that's amazing. You've you got to think on that one a while. Like, this, all this came from God. The Bible describes us as, as insensitive or indifferent to the whole thing. We, we weren't concerned about restoring our relationship with God. We're just kind of doing our own thing, right? But God initiates reconciliation with us. And he says, you know what? I'm going to fix this relationship. You don't care one thing about it. I know you don't. Really, you're my enemy. Yeah, you saw that, right? That's in the Bible. I, I, I didn't make that up. 
you got to figure out what that means, right? But I can tell you, in essence, what it means. It means that you're opposed to God in your sinful state. You're opposed to him. You don't, you don't like him very much at all. So while you were that, while you, while you had that mental state, God came and loved you anyway and sent his son. And, and he gave his son as a sacrifice for you so that he poured his wrath out, not on you, but on his son, Jesus And Jesus stepped in to your place and in your stead and took that so that you can live. And that's what this means. This. That's what the cross is all about. This this is your, your point of reconciliation to God on this earth. This is how you get back to God. Through what Jesus did for you and for me. And so, so the hostility is over. At least from God's standpoint, right? Now here's what's important. You have to move past this statement, this, this doctrinal statement. Okay. So in other words, this doctrinal statement is what I just told you. You have been potentially, restored to God, reconciled to God by way of Jesus and his death on the cross. That is the truth of the matter. That's the fact of it. We call it in theology a forensic, legal sort of declaration. It is what it is, right? You got to move past that to where it becomes beneficial to you. It's not simply that you acknowledge it and you sit here and go, oh, that's great. God did that. Cool. Sounds good. It has to become beneficial to you if you're going to step into this friendship aspect that I was talking about earlier, if you're going to draw near to God, right? There's plenty of Christians that don't draw near to God. They're kind of just just on the fringe, right? Well, listen, this whole thing that Jesus died for is, is not simply contractual. It's experiential. It needs, it needs to change you. I was blessed by the word seep. Imagine that, Andrew. You used that word. Do you remember using the word seep when you prayed? You do not. Well, it's it's on video. (laughs) Seepability. Now, that's a word I just made up. You know what seep is, right? Give me an example of something that seeps, that's beneficial. I mean, if oil seeps from your car, that's not good, right? <laughs> what is sunshine? Ooh, I like that. You know what? You know, hallelujah. You know what? I thought about I thought about this song this morning. I don't know why I did. Forgive me. I think about rock and roll songs a lot. I don't sit around listening to them. This comes from my past. And I'm not saying if you do, it's necessarily bad. But uh, who sang that song, Summer Breeze? Makes me feel fine rolling through the chasms, right? Or caverns. Of my, and I'm like, what a beautiful picture. Like that's, that's seeping. Like that's, 
In other words, the summer breeze that he was feeling was doing way more for him than just an external sort of, like, I feel wind on my face. It was doing way more for him. It was seeping down into the core of his being, and he was fully enjoying the wind that he was feeling. Do you fully enjoy these doctrines when it says you are justified, you were once alienated, and now you've been reconciled, and it's because of God's initiative and Jesus Christ being made available to you by way of the cross? Does that seep into the core of your being so that, I mean, there's many, many benefits, but one benefit is you now have peace with God. The hostility's gone on your end too. You're you're able to relate to God. You're able to draw near to God. That's a difficult concept for a lot of people, right? You know what? Like, why, why should you draw near to somebody you don't like? So how could I not like God? I'll tell you how. Legalism. Works mentality. If you have a works mentality and you're not just trusting God by faith in terms of what he's done for you in Christ, guess what? You are mad with God every day. You know why? Because you know you can't pull it off. And you're going, God, I don't like you because you're requiring this of me. You're, You're requiring me to do all this and I can't do it. It's funny, before Martin Luther discovered justification by faith alone, he was once asked if he loved God. And Martin Luther honestly said, love God, sometimes I hate him. See, that's that's the rub of legalism. This is justification by faith alone. You have been reconciled by faith. You simply trust. Let me get to the uh, end of this. I, I say you simply trust. Confess your sins. I mean, don't neglect such a great salvation as what we have. Confess your sins, but know this. God wants you to come with your sins to him. He's made a way. You know, we, we're like, well, if, if I reveal the real me to God, then he's going to reject me. No, he's not. His own purpose for coming was so that you could do that. Come to him. Say, this is who I am. I want to draw near to you. He says, come, because you know what? I sit down and eat with sinners. That's what I do. Look, all that needed to be paid for your sins has been paid. Every ounce, every drop. There's nothing left that needs to be paid. It was all covered in the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus once and for all. Once and for all. There is, like, go, go to God. There is nothing that precludes you from coming. It doesn't matter what it is. Now, here's the close of this, this message. I'll, I'll just give you the passage to read. Well, no, I won't. Um, let me, I got to read some of this. Okay, Paul says this, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Like, I don't look at you and think about you simply in earthly terms, right? <laughs> There's way more going on here. 
Even though we were once regarded, uh, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we don't do that anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. See there? Christ reconciled us to God and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. Okay, we can stop right there. You know what that means, right? You've been reconciled. Now you go and reconcile others. You've, you've got a ministry. You've got a ministry. He, later he says, therefore, we are Christ ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be rec- For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, man. You know, what, what an inroads into, into this world. Everybody's looking for peace, and we have the message of peace. I don't know about you. A couple weeks ago, I was praying, and, and I reflected on myself, and I said, God, I don't know if I have one ounce of concern for lost people. I, like, I just, I just realized, like, where did it go? I don't know what, what happened. Now, I sure I do, you know, in a general sense. I don't want people to die and go to hell, in other words. But is, is that my heartbeat? Like, you know, do I, do I think about it enough? Do I, do I truly care? And am I willing to take a message of reconciliation and share it with, with somebody? Because they... They can get near to God too if I do, right? And all their sins can be forgiven. And, and they can have peace with God. And then really, one day, have ultimate peace with God, right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? That place where the lamb lies down with the lion. Now that, in other words, that's peace, right? No more pain, no more suffering. Let me ask you some. You got any family members? You're about to see them, a lot of them. You got any family members? You got any children, sons, daughters? You got any parents? You got any friends that that don't know Jesus? Listen, you are not in their lives by accident. God put you where he put you. He put you in the family he put you in, like to be a light, He puts you in this community to be a light. You have the message of reconciliation. We have it. What are we going to do with it? Oh, that God would burden our hearts. uh, that, That we would move into a place of peace. And then out of that peace, begin to share what we know with others. You know, because of what we've experienced. Let's pray. So I want you to, I want you to pray with me now in your hearts, okay? Um, Father, so I'm going to pray and ask that you help us understand the doctrine of justification Not just on paper, but in the depths of our being so that we really taste of the peace that Jesus won for us. And, and we really, 
in essence, understand that we can draw near to you, coming to you, confessing our sins, receiving the joy that you have to give us, and then out of that, we can turn to our family. We can, we can turn to our friends. We can turn to our neighbors. And uh, in, in wise, creative ways, smart ways, not, share what we know about you and speak into their world that's lacking peace. Father, get, first of all, give us a heart that desires to do this, that wants to, like, just let your love in us just overflow in that sort of way. Give us a heart for lost people. Father, that, that's why we're here. Well, two reasons. We're here to build up the saints, but we're also here to evangelize and to take the hope that we have in you to people that don't have that hope and that don't have the peace that we have. Father, help us. Help us. We need your help. By your spirit, work this in us in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you this benediction now. So if you'd bow your heads. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. God bless you all. See you later this week. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were encouraged, and we'd like to personally invite you to attend one of our services here at Cross Point Church. We meet every Sunday at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. Our people are warm and welcoming, and we're all learning what it means to follow Jesus together. You can learn more about us at CrosspointWestDallas.com, where you'll find more episodes of our podcast. You can watch past services on our YouTube channel, and we live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Until then, thank you for listening to Cross Point Church.